to begin, and then I will, I will bring in some of the context of this a little later. The Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse number 24, but none of these things move me. I'm not moved by this. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Would you please stretch your hands toward heaven and ask the Lord to touch us here in this place tonight? Father, I am thine, O Lord. Consecrate me right now to thy service by the power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with steadfast hope and let my foolish and carnal and earthly will be lost in thine. Lord, let faith rise up in the heart of every person in this building, every hearer of this sermon. Let faith rise up to receive your word, to believe your word, and to respond in a positive manner to your word. In Jesus' name we ask it and everyone can say, Amen, Amen. I must finish my course with joy. I want to preach to you tonight, January 1st, 2023, on setting our course. Setting our course. Here we are at the beginning of this new year. Traditionally, we often examine our lives at times like these. Now, there's really no difference between midnight last night and 12.01 this morning, but it's a division in time that, that gives us a moment. It's like a, it's like a birthday. It's like, a, it's, it's like any other special day. It, it marks time and gives us pause to consider our course. It just, it just, it just lets us examine ourselves. And it's common at times like this, especially at New Year's, to make resolutions and we kind of we kind of make fun of resolutions sometimes because we're so prone to break them I don't know where we were recently doesn't seem like it's been all that long ago I made a comment to someone I said boy you're looking good look like fit and in shape and losing weight he said yeah I've been going to the gym been going to the gym this year he said I bought the membership on in January last year he said I went a year without going I bought the membership I'm going to go and I went a year without going he said it finally he said I really the embarrassment of it didn't provoke me he said I just don't like to waste money maybe we ought to put our money where our mouth is I'm not sure but we make these resolutions, we set these goals, and we have very good intentions. But oftentimes, we look back and we say, well, I didn't get it this year, I'll, 
I'll try it again next year. I'm not asking you tonight to make another resolution. But I would like for you to consider your course. What is the direction you are going spiritually? Where, where would you like to be spiritually one year from now? If Brother Jarvis has an evangelist next year, since this one's going to be without snow, by the grace of God, if he, try, if he has revival next year, the first week of January, where do you envision yourself being spiritually? I hope not the same place. I hope you have aspirations to be closer to God. Consider your course. Where do you want to be? What direction are you headed when the coming year winds down, when this year, 2023, winds down, I do not want to be the same man. I don't want to be the same man forever. I was a, a young man, a teenager in a church. My wife and I were there. We heard one particular individual say this more times than I care to remember. He would say, I've been saved 40 years and I've never changed. And I was, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years old. And that did not sound right to me. 40 years I've been saved and I've never changed. And I suppose I have some idea and had some idea then what he was trying to say, but I do not want to be the same man that I was 40 years ago. 40 years have passed now since I heard him say that. And I look back at the life that I have had and the man I was and the man I have become, and I am so thankful I did not ascribe to his doctrine. I promise you, you may not like my preaching now, but you wouldn't have liked it 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. you might have, it might have humored you. You might have laughed a little more. But it wouldn't be much spiritual profit in it. I wouldn't, have been, I wouldn't have been the husband I am, the father I am. I don't want to be the same man for 40 years. I want to be a better man. I want to be a better Christian. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better church member. I want to be a better evangelist. I want to be a better preacher. And I'm just going to be honest with you tonight. I see in myself room for improvement. How about you? No, not, not me. Don't, 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 don't tell me the improvement you, room for improvement you see in me. You can tell Brother Jarvis that after I'm gone. But what about you? Odie, do you see any room for improvement? Not in Dad, but in you. You want me to put you on the spot and call your name? No, I'm not going to. I can pick on Odie and get by with it. I don't know if I can get by with picking on you. Don't want to. But I am not going to realize any improvements by making empty promises on January the 1st. If I'm going to be better, 
If we are going to be better, if we are going to be different, if we are going to be more spiritually mature one year from now, we must have more than good intentions. We must set our course in that direction. Just in case we need a reminder, let me tell you a true story that reveals human nature when it comes to good intentions. A dear friend of mine who's now retired was a long-term pastor over 40 years at a church. So he knew these people well and they knew him. One night they were having, one year they were having New Year's Eve service, watch night service. And it just occurred to him to have everybody there, congregation probably of 50 people, all the adults write down where they would like to be, what their spiritual goals were one year out. He said, we're going to write our own spiritual goals down. No pressure from anybody else. Nobody makes decisions for you. You write it down. Here's my goal for the next year. And you're going to put it in this envelope. You're going to seal it. You're going to write your name on it. Nobody else will ever see this but you. We'll stick them in a box in a safe place where nobody will see them. And next year on New Year's Eve, we'll get them out. And you'll get your own letter. Nobody else will see it. No pressure. No judgment from anybody. And you see whether you can live up to your own spiritual goals that you set. New Year's Eve came and he forgot. So a year had passed and he forgot about it. Some of them might have remembered, but nobody brought it up. And he remembered it six months later. So they had 18 months, Brother Jarvis, 18 months to meet their 12-month spiritual goals. He brought that box to church one night. Everybody knew what was in that box. He passed out those envelopes to everyone there. He said, now open them up, read them privately. And if anyone has met or exceeded your 12-month goals with six months extra time, Please raise your hand. Don't have to tell us what the goals were. Just raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand. The pastor, my friend, told me, including the pastor. Nobody. Because goals can be spoken or written and forgotten. Good intentions can be so good but soon forgotten. We must have more than good intentions. Goals and resolutions and promises and good intentions will never bring about lasting change. We must change our course. We must set our direction toward God. Let me ask a question tonight, and I don't, I don't expect you to answer me aloud, but answer in your heart. Are we willing to allow God to change our course if necessary? It's not always the easiest thing. But I promise you it's the most profitable thing. Now, Kelly and I were working in the first church that we were asked to be a part of. I was 19 years old, and, and the pastor 
became sick, diseased, and was not able to come much. I was a 19-year-old preaching four times a week, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, running services way in over my head, too deep to survive, about to drown. And somebody gave me a good piece of advice Find a topic, find a subject, find a book in the Bible, and preach from that. It'll give you something to always study for. You won't have to be thinking about four things to try to preach. It's really good advice, Brother Jarvis. And so I, Sunday mornings, I started preaching through the Gospels. And so I was just started at Matthew and went all the way through. My intention was to go all the way through John and then worry about it. And Kelly and I had been raised in non-tithing churches and that church was a non-tithing church and they were good people but they didn't believe in tithing in fact some of them believed real strong against it and I reading here preaching through the Bible and I trying to study two or three weeks ahead so I you know would, wouldn't be surprised and all of a sudden there's these verses of Jesus commending tithing promoting tithing and and in my mind brother Jarvis I'm thinking boy I got to figure out what he really meant here because he didn't mean that couldn't be that are y'all with me here I'm just I'm just showing you where my where my mind was it can't it can't mean that because I know tithing's not right I've been told it's not right so he there's got to be some secret key here that he means, and I couldn't find the secret key. I found out it meant exactly what it said. And so I went to the pastor that I was working under, because I, I knew this could cause problems. And I, I told him, what I, I read this to him, and I, and I talked to him about it, and I worked through it, and, and, and we just went all the way through the Bible. And I said, brother, I, I, you got to help me here, because I can't see anything here except it means exactly what it says. And he said, sure looks like it, Davey. He said, uh, now, I, I'm too old. No way I could change now. But if, if, if you see that in the Bible, if it's there, preach it. And I'll stand behind you. And I preached it. And he stood behind me. A mile or two behind me. But he stood behind me. <laughs> and once I preached it, God said, now you got to do it. What? <laughs> I mean, preaching is one thing. Giving 10% of my income, that's, that's something else. Now, this is back in the 80s. I was making $7 an hour. If I worked 40 hours a week, that's $280. That's 20 Can you do the math? $28. I couldn't imagine giving $28. I mean, we were barely making it. How am I going to give $28? But... I, we, we sat down and we talked about it and we both said it's in the Bible we're supposed to do it let's do it I want to tell you out of all the changes God has made in me that was the easiest one that I ever let him make once I started doing it I couldn't imagine not giving 10% to start with are y'all with me here I mean I've had some changes I'm not going to tell you all of them that he worked in me I've had some of them that were painful 
I've had some of them that hurt me for a long time. I've had some changes that God, some, some things he trimmed off of me and some things he amputated out of my life that were downright painful. But when he taught me to give, it was the best thing I've ever done. Years later, we, we, we upped our plan given to 20% and 30% and then finding other places to give and, and finding other ways to, to, to help people and evangelists and churches. And, and I have found out how fun it is to give. The very first time anyone ever gave me a $100 bill was right down the road here at Lester Carpenter's church when I was 17 or 18 years old. I'll never forget, somebody handed me a $100 bill, and I promise you, I, I needed it. And then I was, I don't know, 21, 22, 23, we were evangelizing by then, preaching a revival in a little church in Oklahoma, and a visiting pastor who was on vacation from his pulpit just dropped in at that little church, had some family connection there, and as he walked out the door, he handed me a $100 bill. And I know I needed it then. Early 1990s, a really good revival offering in the 90s for me, a good one, was $300 for the whole week. And he gave me a third of my pay up front. I'll never forget how good it made me feel. Are y'all with me here? But I want to tell you, it feels 100,000 times better to give one. Oh, yes, it does. I'll never forget how it felt to receive one. But I'll never, ever, ever get over how good it feels to be able to give one. Whether it's giving one out of two that I have or giving the only one I have. It is blessing. It is a blessing to give. Thank God for that change in my life. Are, are y'all with me? Am I making any sense? I needed change. I needed, a, I needed to set my course, Davy. You can't, you can't go your own way, son. You got the Word of God and you got the man of God and you got the Spirit of God to guide you. Change your course if necessary. And that's certainly not the only time. I, I remember years ago, we were at Allentown Camp Meeting down near Mobile, Alabama. Day service, they usually have three preachers at Allentown every day. And two of the preachers, it was as high as a kite. Man, it was just, it was, it was camp meeting service. The third preacher got up, and he was a notable preacher, and if I mentioned his name, some of you would know him. And he, Brother Jarvis, he set a plow, dropped it down about an extra foot, and plowed us under. I mean, they wasn't nobody, by the time he got done, they wasn't nobody saying amen. Everybody was saying, oh me. Some of them saying, get me out of here. <laughs> I mean... That service had been way up here. When he got done, we were crawling to the altar. Yeah, I'm not saying it was bad preaching. I'm saying it was, it was just God-given preaching that just, that just hurt. It just hurt. And, 
And, and some of them didn't take it, but most of them did. And he made one, he made one remark, one remark in that message that was like an arrow right to my soul. And I've never been the same because of that sermon. I'll never forget the change the Word of God made in my heart. And I just, I just, went, the I just went the direction God pointed. I wish I could preach to you here tonight. Are we willing to allow God to make a course correction in our life? If necessary. Or are we too stuck in our ways? I want to be willing to let him change. The Apostle Paul here in our text. He describes trouble that is coming to him. The Holy Ghost has confirmed it in every city. Everywhere I go he said the Lord is speaking to me. Letting me know I must go to Jerusalem. But I'm not going there for fun and games. I'm not going there for kicks and grins. When I get there, it's not going to be well for me. Bonds and afflictions are waiting for me when I get to Jerusalem. I know this through the Spirit of God. And, and this is going to be some of his last days of liberty, complete liberty and freedom in his life. He's going to spend most of the rest of his life in chains or in bondage or under imprisonment of some form or fashion. But he said, I'm not moved. I'm not disturbed. I am not worried. I am not distressed. I'm not upset. I'm not uptight. I'm not going to fret about it. I refuse to let this trouble distract me. None of these things move me. I've got a course to finish with joy. Praise God. He had set his course. But that wasn't always Paul's course. Paul was going a completely different direction. We know that. Three times we have his, we have his conversion story in the book of Acts. Three times in one book. We see it in action. And then we hear his two testimonies of it. One before the Jews, one before the rulers. And then all through his writings, he discusses that, that momentous day. Now, here, here's what I'd like for you to see. He wasn't changed from a dope smoker or an alcoholic or someone who had perverted lifestyle. He was changed from a super religious man. Are y'all with me here tonight? He was not irreverent. He was not ungodly in the sense of anything he knew about. He was not living in any sin that was known to him. He was persecuting Christians. But he was absolutely certain he was doing the will of God. He, he, he wasn't sinning. He wasn't, going to, he wasn't going to the casino. He wasn't gambling. He wasn't... He, he, he wasn't cussing. He was living according to his Jewish faith the very best 
He could, but God met him in the middle of the road on his way to Damascus to, to try to do more of God's will. That's what he was going there for. He thought he was doing God's will, and God met him and shone that light on him. And he fell off his horse and surrendered to the Lord when he realized who it was. And he completely changed his course, his life course was to kill Christians and his life course became to make as many Christians as he could. Can you imagine how many hundreds of millions of people are going to be in heaven because of Paul's ministry? 13 books or so of the Bible, all the preaching he's done, millions of people, hundreds of millions of people in heaven because Paul changed his course. Now, I don't know that our course change will be so dramatic, but I will tell you this, if I hadn't had some drastic course changes, I wouldn't be here preaching revival for you. I wouldn't be up here singing gospel songs. I wouldn't have a godly wife and a godly daughter. I wouldn't be saved. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be everything I need to be at this moment if I hadn't had some course changes and I'm willing for God to do it again. Are we willing to let Him change our course if necessary? Here's... Here's, here's what I'm convinced of. I am absolutely convinced there are people sitting in these pews that are leadership material. I really believe that. You're leadership material. You could be a deacon. You could be a Sunday school teacher. You could be a song leader. You could be a musician. You, you could be a preacher. Some of you know you're called to preach maybe. You could be, you could be leadership material in the church. Nobody knows it. Because you won't allow God to direct your course. Is that, that's not too harsh, is it? God has his hand on people right here in this congregation. But you're like most of us. We just need a few rough edges rubbed off. That's all. No telling what God could do. Listen. If he, can use, if he can use a mixed up boy from Waynesville, Ohio, not even from Waynesville, really. I'm from the suburb of Waynesville. In fact, I live a mile out of the suburb of Waynesville, Corwin, Ohio. My parents still live in the same house I was growing up, a mile out of Corwin, which is a suburb of the smallest town in our county, praise God. If God can take me, and I was mixed up, and I was messed up, and I didn't even have my right mind. If God can clean me up and change my direction and set me in the ministry, He can do it for you. What's your course over the next year? What's God want of you? What's He asking of you, young lady? What's He asking of you, young man? I'm not trying to call you to preach. I'm not trying to send you to the Philippines or to India. No, no, no. I'm trying to get you to be the best that God has for you. Paul set his course, ran his course. And the last words we have of him, I have finished my course. Mm. Wow. Have you considered your course? 
this evening? Are you willing to let God change course if necessary? And I need to tell you one more thing. There is a danger, a serious danger in going our own course. The wrong course can be deadly. I, I'm pretty much convinced if I had followed that man's theory, I've never changed. If I'd have set that as my life goal at 16, I'm absolutely 100% certain I wouldn't be in the ministry. Probably wouldn't be married. Probably wouldn't be living for God because I needed some course correction. I know I saved, Brother Jarvis. I know I was. I know I saved. You can't get no more saved than saved. Right? I mean, nobody is super saved. It's just saved. But you can grow up. Right? You can get mature in the Lord. You can. If you want to use the word, you can be sanctified. You can be spiritually mature. I sure needed it. Because the wrong course would have shipwrecked me. My course would have shipwrecked me. I read this story just, just a week or so ago. A little paperback book that I have. The sermon it was in was not anything on this subject. It was on revival. I don't, I don't even think I finished the sermon once I found the story. I just wept for a while. 1945, February 14th, a B-17 bomber was flying over Dresden, Germany. They dropped their payload. They started back toward the safety of the channel and to England. And they ran into anti-aircraft fire and it nearly crashed them. The pilot was able to get control of the plane and, and, but he, some of his engines were hampered. Some of his controls were, were damaged. And he, he says back to the navigator, find me a route out of here. And the navigator said, I know the way. If you will follow my course, if you can keep this thing flying, I can get us home. I know the course. And so he got his charts and his graphs and his little, his little instruments that they measured with at that time. And he set a course. They were over the Belgium and Netherlands border. They were so close to safety when they ran into a known anti-aircraft zone. They knew there was a nest of guns there. And they ran right over it. And this time they fired and the plane went down. The men were able to parachute to safety. I don't know how many men were in a B-17 bomber eight or ten men and they all were able to get to safety and escape back into England but it was a loss of a plane much money and a very very scary proposition for those men they held reunions for years after that 47 years after that there were just three of them left the pilot the tail gunner and the navigator 
For the first time ever, they had a conversation about this particular thing. And the pilot and the tail gunner asked the navigator, Hey, we've been meaning to ask you. You said if we could keep the plane flying, you knew the course out of there. You, you, could, you could get us out of there. And he, he bowed his head. He said, man, I can't believe you asked me that question. Nobody's ever asked me that, and I've never told anyone. I said, well, what happened? He said, I knew the way, but I plotted the wrong course. I knew how to do it. I knew that anti-aircraft, I knew those guns were there, but I figured wrong. Something didn't work right in my math. I plotted the wrong course. Oh, oh, the tragedy of plotting the wrong course. Here we are on January 1st, 2023. A grand opportunity to set a course that's right. We don't have to be a castaway. We don't have to get shot down over enemy territory. We don't have to perish. We can change our course. Yesterday morning, I was honored to preach a funeral of one of my aunts, my dad's baby brother, died 30 years ago suddenly of a heart attack his widow now 73 years old she's she's went through and beat cancer three times and then about two and a half weeks ago they found cancer in her brain and yesterday we laid her in Miami Cemetery didn't last long 73 years old But this year, this year, well, let me take you back a couple years. During COVID shutdown, Kelly and I had revival in Odie's house. Many of you watched those 61 services we had during shutdown. My first cousin watched those services. A retired deputy sheriff watched those services. And in the next year, he got saved. I baptized him in 2021. He went to working on his mother, and this year, his mother got saved. She's raised right down here in Williamsburg, Kentucky. That's where all her family's from. She went to church as a girl, but all these years, she followed the wrong course. This year, she got saved. Just in time. Just in time. She passed away. December 28th, after that final course correction. I say that's timely intervention from the Lord. I'm not necessarily preaching to lost people here tonight. That's not my goal. I'm preaching to people like Davy Boggs and people like Odie Boggs preaching to people like you that love God 
you go to church on Sunday night because you want to. You've got so many wonderful attributes and good spiritual etiquette. But what if the Lord's trying to pull you up a little closer? Man, I feel him here talking to us tonight. Would you bow your head with me, please? Nobody's looking around. Is the Lord talking to you, sir? Is the Lord talking to you, ma'am? I wouldn't embarrass you. I never would. Never embarrass you on purpose. But is the Lord talking to you? Won't you just slip your hand up and say, Preacher, the Lord's talking to me tonight. This is not an accident. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. This is not an accident. Thank you. Anybody else? God's speaking to me tonight, preacher. I need a course correction. I got some rough edges. I need the Lord to take off. Brother Jarvis has been preaching to me and I've been resisting it, but I'm I'm ready to make a course correction. I want the Lord to work in my life. Anybody else? Any young people? Any young married couples need a course correction? Grandma, grandpa, it's not too late. No, not too late. No telling what God wants to do in lives. What a beginning to revival. If we could pull up close to the fire, warm our spirit and catch on fire and burn throughout this county for the grace of God. What a beginning to revival. Would you stand with us? If you're physically able, would you make your way down to this altar? Those of you that lifted your hands, acknowledge God speaking to you. Come with everybody else. Come on, saints of God. Come on. Love to see 100% participation in the altar each night. Let's not get in a hurry. Let's not get in a hurry. Come on.